Hello and welcome to this week's Starspawn Podcast with me, James York, and... Ted Knudsen. Wow, a, a normal intro. You didn't prat about in the intro. That's unusual, Ted. I, I, I've lost my groove. <laughs> we just It's been so long, we just, just, just get through it, get the normal stock intro going and get into it. Um, plenty to talk about. What would you like to talk about, Ted? Where have we been? We... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We haven't done this for six months. <laughs> lockdown, lockdown did not allow any podcast to happen. That's that's my excuse. I'm sticking to it. Um, now, for those of you who, who have missed the Stats Bomb podcast, which my mentions occasionally, they used to be a lot more aggressive. They're like, "Where's the podcast? Is the podcast ever coming back?" And uh, and now it's uh, they've stopped asking, which I think is is good for me. Um, so we we stopped doing this podcast basically at the start of the year. Uh, I nearly came back in mid-season. You got real tempted, didn't you? There was around about Christmas. I did. <laughs> yeah, we we went into to the super strict lockdown, no schools as well, partly to the the new variant in the UK, etc. And I was like, oh, it feels like a good time to like just talk about football. And then, like literally, as I was getting ready to do that, I had a call with one of our biggest customers, and he's like, you know, it's a good thing that you guys don't do the podcast. He's like, I love the podcast. But it is a good thing that you don't do it anymore because you leak everywhere and <laughs> we, we don't want anybody else becoming smarter out there. I was like, well, I guess that's a compliment. <laughs> but now also listening to you, um, yeah, we would like to keep your money. So uh, we won't do the podcast. But we are here today for various reasons. One is to plug the Stats Bomb Evolve event next week. Uh, it's happening live. It's a two-hour event. Uh, we haven't done an event since our conference in October of 2019, I guess. It's been ages and ages. Uh, and so we <clears throat> came to talk about that. Um, our new product will be launched in that, Stats 360. We'll talk a bit about live data there. We'll talk about <sighs> our collection process and QA and the lengths that we go to to make sure that we produce the best data in the industry. And we'll also talk about possession value models and what ours looks like and why we've made some of the choices we made and how cool uh, what we finally ended up with is um, and why we're happy with it. So that is all happening. Uh, I think it's at 2.30 UK uh, next week, March 17th of 2021. Um, but before, and we'll do like a wrap up pod on that next week and stuff like that. But I didn't want to just like do a marketing pod. Like we are better than that, James. <laughs> we... <laughs> Yes, that sounds like a quality product and or service. I'd like to be involved in it. <laughs> We've never done advertising on this podcast ever. Uh, no. Probably never. You can advertise yourself. That's okay. I think that's, that's, the, that's the essential currency of podcasts is like, you know, when someone asks you on anything you'd like to plug, yeah, our own product, quickly. <laughs> and manscaping. What? <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> You don't listen to many podcasts, I don't. do you? I used to listen to what Norm MacDonald had one when he was advertising the Mangrate, which was hilarious because he just didn't take it seriously. And I think they eventually pulled their... They shouldn't have pulled their sponsorship because it was it was gold. But yeah, you kind of want your your person to be... At least pretend to be on message with the product they're advertising. <laughs> Norm has never taken anything seriously in his life. So 
I, I love Lauren McDonald, at least you know, the most of his output. <laughs> As a person, seems like a bit of a degenerate, but uh, <laughs> you know, this is someone who exists in the gambling space for a very long time. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, today we're going to talk a little bit about what we've seen, kind of industry trends over the course of the last year, especially uh, this season. We're going to talk about the Premier League and the madness uh, that's going on there in different ways. Uh, and that, there are like a lot of fun things to, to talk into. And it's quite funny, like we, this is not me bigging up our podcast, this is me having watched this for years and years. We often tend to find the, the trends earlier than other people in the media space because, you know, data is really good at this and we're pretty in tune to that, like, again, being on the pointy end of the gambling stick means that you need to be in tune with trends because otherwise like you just don't <laughs> you end up in big trouble there but um it's been interesting to watch the mediascape uh, do this without us uh, around and and not covering you know even from a written perspective uh when the pandemic hit we cut back all of our writing on on stats bomb <clears throat> Uh, for for lots of different reasons, but we haven't done like the weekly stuff and hasn't come back, and so um, yeah, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that too. But I guess we should talk about what we've seen happen this year uh, from sort of a data and analytics perspective, because we, yeah, I've been predicting things for years and pretty accurate for the most part, but I think that this year especially, it's fascinating to watch. There's a bit of a snowball effect going on, I think. Like it's it feels like it's. Um... I think we're, I, I mean, I don't know what people are seeing from the outside because we're inside. Um, so, like, you see what we see versus what the, you know, the general uh, population might see. I think one thing that you can note quite easily is that a lot of people who, you know, have had, like, Twitter accounts and been about the place are getting hired by clubs at various levels, you know, from kind of, like, director of analytics down to, you know, uh, you know, kind of team analysts, you know, and everywhere in between. That's happening. That feels like it's happening more and more. Uh, and you know, we, I've said for ages, I've said for ages, if you look good in a tracksuit and you know, you can do a bit of coding then the world will be your oyster. I think we could be, we could be really close to like that kind of like being a bit of a tipping point. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just kind of, it just feels like it's really growing fast again. Um, yeah. And that's interesting to me because it's not like it wasn't growing anyway, but it feels like it's accelerated in the last kind of probably say six months to a year. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe just pandemic era, isn't it? This is the thing where the essential reality of like looking at your football club and balancing your resources. And it's like, okay, what, what, what can we do with this? Actually data and smart people using the data and blending that with the, you know, traditional methods. That's probably the way forward. And it is. I think, I think the pandemic is, is probably a, uh, definitely a tipping point, right? Where you couldn't have scouts in stadia anymore, and you started to look for ways to to recreate at least some elements of that, or to get more confidence about the players that you might sign. Now, ironically, nobody signed anybody. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that that transfer window basically didn't happen, and the next transfer window almost didn't happen either. <laughs> like the the big transfers in the in the last window were were almost you know. I don't want to say exclusively accounting <laughs> swaps, but uh, certainly it, it felt like a lot of them were. Uh, and then this January, which we didn't talk about, like that also didn't happen. And this summer is probably going to be another quiet transfer window, but that hasn't changed um, teams sort of restructuring their groups because they, they didn't have scouts that could be in stadia anymore. Like you literally can't enter a stadia and many of them couldn't get passes, like, you know, it was against the law to, to be able to do that. So they, they weren't a lot, <clears throat> simply weren't allowed to continue the traditional way. 
Um, and you know that that resulted in you know some budget savings, but the entire football world's been hammered by lack of fans in stadia, and that's been a big problem. But it's also resulted in a lot more teams trying to to get up to speed on this. Um, Manchester City and City Football Group have not hired everyone, but they have hired a lot of people, much like we have. Um, yeah. And in fact, if you're interested in working in SASBOM, you should always check our careers page because we seem to be put, placing like literally new jobs every week. But City City seem to be announcing one every at least every month. Uh, many people who are longtime people in the industry, very good quality folks, um, including some that you know have have come from smaller clubs, and it's been exciting yeah, to see them get. That's a good up. point, actually, especially especially with City City signs. There's there's a few people around the place uh, that you know good good practitioners, and they have been at smaller clubs, and and now they're there at City, and it's like yeah, like you you can. It, I think that just shows a real real kind of like pathway if if you can you know prove yourself as capable and competent and organise your you know. Some, your data and recruitment needs or you know analysis needs within a club then you know the, the sky's the limit really the, the top clubs will be looking out for people that have got that kind of skill set uh, in their you know in the in their locker kind of thing and and from different angles too so you've got you've got Robbie uh, scribbler 42 I believe who you know his his approach was you know very tableau centric and um, what was the information group or something like yeah. that um, and I think Rob Sutterby came out of that as well. And Rob's just recently been, uh, t- he's gone from a part-time job at Norwich over to FIFA yeah, yeah. and their project management group. Uh, I had heard that FIFA were starting to collect some level of their own data. So that's kind of intriguing. Uh, then you have people who, you know, much further down the, the league pyramid, you've got Chris Baker, who's now at City Football Group. You've got uh, Dougie Wright in that tragic Wigan group. That Wigan group was really killing it. And, you know, we... I think one of our our pods last summer talked about how strong they were and and you know how unfortunate like that yeah, situation yeah. has been because they they put together a really good group they you know they were killing it on on the pitch and then off the pitch they were clearly quite smart and doing good stuff and then they just dissipated because of the the bankruptcy and the the general nonsense around the finances in that club. So Dougie Wright, I think, was one of the people that got scooped up and taken to, to City. And all of those people have like some different backgrounds. And then you get Lloyd Shaw at, at sort of like the very top end AI, machine learning, uh, data science uh, side of that. So it's it's fascinating to watch City hire and, and put together uh, quite a good team. And I think Brian Prestige is the, the guy that, that runs that these days. Uh, so yeah, it's a it's interesting. Yeah, Nikos got hired as well. Nikos went to Vancouver to go and play. Who? <laughs> our old, Never heard our of old him. friend Nikos, uh, who was uh, working <laughs> with us uh, this time last year. Now he's at, now he's at Vancouver, uh, trying trying to find gems from the world to, to go and play in MLS. So that's 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 fun. You know, Nikos is a good friend of ours, and it'd be interesting to see how they pan out. So go go. We, we, we should make him really uncomfortable by talking about all the texts that he sends. <laughs> It's like, no, you you can't talk about me like that. Uh, No, he had some good press even on the the main MLS.com site. Um, Yeah, I think he's a great hire for Vancouver. I was obviously a huge Nikos fan. Worked with him since uh, very early in my Brentford days. And, you know, he's one of the sharpest recruitment minds out there. Um, But, yeah, he's he's back in the club space now. And it's fascinating to to see. Yeah, no pressure. No pressure being in the club space. (laughs) The fast-moving environment of the club space. (laughs) <laughs> Look, I, there's like two things that happens with fans. Like one thing is that is that fans just 
they'll say things that are factually untrue and it happens on Twitter as well. Like I, you know, I, once a month or something, I go through my own mentions and then people are telling me the things that I think. And I'm like, these are clearly not true, you know, <laughs> or, or, you know, Statsbond claims that they do this. I'm like, not only do we, we're not claiming this. We like literally do this. We provide documentation. We provide like model, <laughs> model white papers. We do this, that, and the other thing. Uh, you know, Ted Knutson claims that, but it's all a bunch of nonsense. I'm like, these things are not true. So anyway, if you're a fan of a football club, that that is that is exacerbated so much. Like you'll think that you know things, and you clearly won't. And and a lot of things are just simply untrue, created by agents or just random parties that have no insight whatsoever. And the other thing that happens is that they. Yeah, it, you know, they just like ratchet up the pressure and it's, it's hard. Like fan, being in a club is simply hard because they're not rational when you lose. And they're often like, you know, uh, euphoric when you win. And there's like no medium space. <laughs> so if you put yourself in that noise, like it is, it ends up being horrific. And that's true even for a giant club like Liverpool, you know, straight down to a tiny club with passionate fans. Like, you know, they occasionally storm the uh, training ground if things are going bad. <laughs> yeah, the, the world Yeah, the world of working for a club is, uh, yeah, so slightly more pressured, I think, than working for a data co. Uh, so, yeah. No, but good luck. Good luck to Nikos. It's, you know, it's, it's a great, great, great opportunity for him. And uh, I'm rooting for him to do well there. Of course, I, I don't think he needs much luck. He, you know, it's all skill. Uh, but <laughs> that's oh, saying, there's no variance. Dad. Oh my god! That's the first. Yeah, if you, if you lose your job in football, the first thing to say is like, it was the variance. It wasn't me. My processes were sound. It was the variance that killed me. Exactly. You'll never know what went on behind <laughs> the scenes, and that's actually true. But <laughs> yeah, anyway, Nikos is great, um, and he's actually part of a, a larger trend at MLS this off season, which I think you know, saw seven or eight teams go for kind of directors of analytics or analytics led recruitment positions way up the chain mm. uh so mls changing quite a bit there and europe as well obviously we mentioned city football group but we're seeing hires happen all over the place um you know not just in in the uk but you know dotted around europe the european landscape is starting to change i know that there were headhunters that were out searching for you know kind of high level reports to you know ceo type positions or alongside the director of football in analytics uh this year and and not from you know the biggest clubs necessarily even from ones that are sort of medium tier that really want to start to try and punch their weight or above their weight they're looking to make changes and that's important um one of the things i, I told somebody privately <clears throat> about taking these types of jobs is especially if they're they're hiring you for you know what is a senior position you need to negotiate before you go on what your budget looks like. Like, hey, I know you're hiring me. I know that this is what you're paying me, but I need to understand what my budget looks like. And if I come through the door, I need to have sort of these products or these licenses or this data, or I need to have like an assistant that does this, um, you know, in order to be successful. And and a lot of times, especially since, you know, some of the people are, are fairly young and, and not that seasoned, but, you know, obviously very smart, they haven't had this experience. And so you make that mistake initially, or you might overlook it, or you didn't get exactly what you needed. And this happens with coaches, true. It's, it, it's not just with, with people that do analysis jobs or like, you know, sort of moderately high level jobs. Even coaches, like sometimes you get through the door, you sign the contract and you're like, oh shit, I also need this. And like, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have any budget for that. You have leverage until you sign the contract. And then once you sign the contract, things get a little more sticky. That's very true, doesn't it? Because yeah. it depends like how how up to speed the you know the person doing the hiring is with with the requirements of the role. So yeah, you know if 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 you 
I think probably still in this day and age that there are there are going to be people hiring that think right I'll get an analytics person and now I've bought my analytics person and they can go and do their analytics and it's not that simple you know, there's more to it than that and you're right you know actually budgeting out a whole department and the process and understanding where it's going to fit in and where it can benefit understanding across the club like you know it's not just recruitment it's opposition analysis team analysis all these things that can be fed into and improved and um, enhanced with you know some kind of data integration how does that how does that actually t- turn out in reality is it just you know it's probably too much for one person to, to do even with a good set of tools so you know do you in do you install people in various departments you know do you, do you want one of your coaching groups to be analytically um savvy as well so they can communicate and that's the thing getting this communication um working and flowing uh is probably the key to kind of getting success um via these methods you don't you can't half ass it and just expect it just to work it out itself and and i mean that's the same with any any aspect of the club um you know um but i think because we're in that kind of growth stage there's probably still there'll probably still be a couple more missteps around the place before before everyone gets gets the idea of exactly how this works and but there's still advantages there as well because you know if you're a team if you're a team that's uh, you know maybe got some analytics integration and and you're thinking actually we could do better then yeah you probably can and you can probably still edge out um you know edge out other clubs that have, have not quite got up to speed yet so you know it's not first mover kind of advantage but there's still adva- plenty of advantages um you know in in the world and different leagues different levels of integration as well it's something we've learned it's it's becoming ever more widespread across the world but um at the same time different leagues are at different stages so you know if you're in a league and you're thinking actually i don't think many many teams in this league are doing much with with analytics yet then the advantage might be even greater so yeah yeah because it's market-based stuff it's you know you're, you are trying to have better play better football and have better results on the pitch but you know this is all relative and so if you shop in a particular set of markets and you have this budget and no one else in that those markets really is is using stats and analytics you certainly get an edge from it you also wouldn't see like a tech company hire one person and expect them to solve like their entire tech stack but you know football clubs and this is not a pejorative like they're quite ignorant right now in this space and they'll get smarter over time and you know in, in american baseball we saw you know, these things started with one guys or, or or three people and then you know the yankees have 20 people just on analytics alone and the the dodgers are, are 30 plus just internally paid people and that doesn't include the external partnerships they have and stuff like that so this will happen over time but right now it's it's certainly accelerating and the pandemic has, has triggered a bit of that and it's going to keep going and you know we see it from a customer perspective so we're at like i don't know it, it changes almost literally daily right now but i think we're at 75 paying customers and that doesn't include anything around the the women's side that we're supporting which you know is is another probably 50 plus um teams that we're out there supporting on the the women's football space and it's happening in in places that you know i i think i did a talk in poland in maybe 2017, 2017, 2018. In fact, it was 2018. It was the start of 2018 because uh, we had just a little bit of data that we had collected on Polish League. We didn't launch um, Statsbob data until May of 2018. So um, 
yeah, now now we're at like three or four Polish clubs and that's starting to accelerate and it's not even at the top of the tier. And so that's fascinating to watch. And, you know, we're just seeing it happen kind of all over the place. And we collect 84 competitions right now. And we'll talk about 360 next week. I'm, I'm going to try to avoid saying much on that. But that'll be 38 competitions uh, just on 360 data for the 21-22 season. So, like, there's so much good data out there that you can use and leverage and, you know, get an advantage from. Um what else do we want to talk about? We could talk about the Premier League, Ted, because um, we're 20 minutes in. I don't know where that went. 20 minutes just flew by. Just good chat. I, just catching up, man. <laughs> if, it wasn't, if it wasn't at 10 o'clock in the morning, we could have had a beer with this. But yeah, it's a bit early for that. got a day's work out. Last time I saw James in person, <laughs> we, we were eating outdoors in a, on a rainy day in Bristol to try and just like you know, I think I've seen him twice this calendar. Yeah, it's quite year. weird. Yeah, the only, <laughs> yeah, the only people, I, the only person I've actually seen out in a pub where is you twice in a year. But anyway, it's kind of weird, <laughs> circumstantial. Met, 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 met on the beach yeah. in uh, in Cornwall, uh, and then yeah, we uh, we popped out for an outdoors lunch in Bristol on quite a rainy day, and that was right before like the entire Bristol restaurant scene closed down, and then the entire country closed down. Uh, so yeah, it's been. Uh, it's been a time. Let's put it that way. Uh, but the children are back at school, so like this is this is probably the most important part. Of yeah, that's why I'm doing a podcast. It's too noisy at home. <laughs> anyway, at least in my anyway, house. What about this Premier League, Ted? What the hell's going on? What? 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 So I have a question for you. Uh, I'm I'm going to start this whole thing with a simple question. If uh, if Chelsea never give up another goal, do you think that they can win a title next? Very season? exciting, Chelsea. I think. It's funny, I you know you've tapped into various fan bases around the place and stuff. I think the early two cool takeaways were like, why isn't he playing the players we like, and then a bit of like our attacks crap. Uh, but so fucking grumpy, <laughs> by the way. Chelsea fans just like exceptionally, insanely grumpy. I think I fall. I ended up following a lot of them because the work on the women's side, and still a big fan of the Chelsea women and and Emma and their journey in you know the league this season, but also the Champions League. But I didn't realize kind of how many I followed, and then like just like you know, the Frank Lampard stuff happened, and then the noise from the Tuchel signing, and I'm like, look, and even internally we have one analyst that is he's not a Tuchel fan. We'll say that. But uh, I think over the over the analysis group inside of Statsbomb, we are longtime Tuchel fans, especially me. We've talked about him lots and lots. And so I thought it was a great signing. Like, you know, immediately plunked him down at Chelsea. But it's been it's been real interesting to watch. Yeah, they give up nothing. They give up, like, few shots of Man City so far. Okay, the schedule might be a little bit kind. But still, you've got to do it. And like we, I think we're just in, you think he's had nine games. And we're looking at 0.38 like non-penalty expected goals against per game for Tuchel, which is insane. That's better than Pep, and like and Pep's Pep's Man City are in, insanely good on that. Is this as good as Steven Gerrard's defense? Well, we'll see. But you know that's a separate issue. Ooh, we didn't have <laughs> no, that listed. Gerrard's Ger- title win powered by incredibly good defense. Um, and okay, the you know Scottish league is is a little bit skewed towards the good teams but even even then even then like no teams give up this is the thing this is why the Tuchel stuff's notable because no teams give up this amount of expected goals or shots long term it just doesn't happen so when someone even in a short period of time like you know nine early games or whatever is comes in and affects that kind of change on a team it's really notable to me I think I think it's really interesting really exciting and then it's a question of like what 
kind of attack can he build on top of it? How much attack does he really need to build on top of it? It's weird, isn't it? Because you think of Tuchel as, you know, like a kind of pressing guy, which always kind of like in your mind tunes towards the attack, I think. Yet what we're seeing right now is absolutely stellar defence to, to get, get his tenure underway. Yeah, so I... <clears throat> When new coaches come in mid-season, especially this season, like this season's insane. Uh, you can't even expect somebody to do anything, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, the, the games are coming so fast and furious. You get like something like two to four training days a week, like total uh, through. <laughs> and and actually, like this comes back to an industry thing where the players are so tired right now. But even last year, one of the big six clubs that we talked to, in a 75-day stint, they their personnel, so like the analysts and the assistants and the trainers and the physios and everything like that, they had had three days off in a 75-day stint. They worked 72 of those 75 days. And that was not – that was before pandemic, right? So that was like over a, a Christmas to, to March period pre-pandemic. Um, this year, it's it's absurd and everybody's exhausted and you know it's kind of a miracle that we're even playing football. But – one of the problems with Lampard's group was that not defending quite systemically enough. I think that some of the ideas were there, but you know, some of the execution was not. And yeah, you don't want to give the entire set of credit to Tuchel, but man, he is—he seemingly has managed to to put this to glue together the different squad elements that did not have like a whole bunch of defensive recruitment in, in, in over the last year and a half, and they are incredible like you, you you can't expect this this is actually you know 0.25 goals a game since i don't give him credit for the first game that they played because you know he showed up on the day of a game so but yeah 0.25 actual goals a game and the the expected goals against is is less like a quarter goal less than peps or something like that it's nuts yeah it's really strong and um you know that, that i i just find that interesting because I, I, lo- I love it when teams are kind of like you know skewing one way or the other uh, in that way like the quality of the shots are given up is is league low quite evidently no great surprise there but you know league 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 low kind of well nearly league low uh, volume of shots league low quality of shots is it's, it's a potent mix like that's, that's a good there's a good half of the equation <laughs> yeah. you you would love to see and like yeah maybe maybe they're taking too many long shots at the moment maybe they're not kind of like you know getting getting the kind of value at the other end yet but if you're literally but you can't install an attack really until you have like an extended period of training time and in germany you might have had like you know the christmas break if that normally happened now you know you might get bits and bobs if they if they were to if the season were to slow down, that might happen, but it's not going to. So in the summertime, there's a good chance that Tuchel, who has historically been an outstanding attacking coach and produced some great attacks at Dortmund, and obviously, yeah, I, PSG's cheating a little bit because, <laughs> you know, Neymar and Mbappe, yeah, Di Maria, okay. But he's, he's nearly got those same pieces. I, I don't want to over, overstate how good the quality of Chelsea's attackers are, but they got a, a ton of them. And many of them are are right at the cusp of being world class. Yeah, good pieces, good good age. Could you know, year or two off maybe for some of them, but like you know, they're not. Yeah, they they should they shouldn't regress very far. I guess you know the the equation is essentially it'll move. Like the defense will have will eventually give up more if you want your attack to flow. You know, it's not <laughs> these things are interrelated. It's not you can't get ever you can't always get everything right unless you're you know Man City on a hot one. 
which Pep does seem to be able to do periodically, and this season has done. But <laughs> no, no, I I listened to everybody talk last year. Pep's washed. Um, I tell you what, I mean, you know, you, you can talk about the you know the bit bigger picture stuff, but you know when 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 uh, City beat. Watford 6-0 in the FA Club and people are like that's it football is broken and then no one said anything for a year because Liverpool stormed the league and now we're just slowly getting back to that like oh this is this is football is broken as being some kind of like narrative and it's like well I don't know you know there are many many wealthy teams that would spend a lot of money on players and, and build squads and stuff but like there are a few who else does does reliably what Pep Guardiola does to his teams and creates these insane metrics and insane winning runs like Every other Sorry, season. you're just wrong. the the whole The whole media institution said that you know Pep was washed up and City were broken and they were never going to recover. And that's that that must factually be true, James. <laughs> like, I mean, it, you know, you got you got to credit you got to credit them. Their metrics are good last year. Their results weren't. Their metrics are really good this year, and their results are really good. And you'd expect that to be more normal than what happened last year. But then you wouldn't expect what happened to Liverpool this year. So it's. Well, so this is you've you've segued into my my second question. Thank you very much. I I had two questions that I wanted to frame our entire discussion. So the first was if uh, if Chelsea never give up any more goals, can they can they win a Premier League next season? My second question: If Liverpool never score another home goal, can they win the Premier League next season? <laughs> yeah, I mean they're on some insane. It's, it, it was literally weeks ago. I don't. It, it, I don't know. There's some Indian burial ground going, stuff going on with Liverpool. They're just cursed at the moment. It's really bizarre. Um, like uh, the, the run of uh, weeks ago, I did a thing about like how unlikely it was that they'd scored nothing from X amount of shots, and it's carried on. It, uh, there's been a couple of games where they have scored goals, but like generally, there's still all these games where they're just not scoring goals, and obviously uh, at home. It's just, it's, it's really bizarre. It is. Um, I guess there were some kind of signs in this. When they came back after the summer, uh, sorry, for the summer, and they were giving up quite quite high-value chances. And that was even with with mm. a good good centre-back pairing and no injuries. So it was a bit of a kind of like, okay, that's different. But they'd won the title, so you felt, well, maybe, maybe that's just one of those things. But then it kind of carried on, and all their centre-backs got injured forever. And, and then the replacement centre-backs got injured. Yeah, and then they signed centre-backs, and they got injured as well. It's just ridiculous. And I, I think I've, I've always... I've, the metrics stood up for most of this period. Like, most of the... Uh, even when they you know weren't getting results, the metrics were sound. They've dipped just recently. Um, it's hard not to look at the team they picked for the Fulham game and not think they were, they had one eye on this uh, Leipzig tie that's tonight. And I, and I can understand that at this at this point. Um, but yeah, it's it's such a strange, strange kind of um, run of events, and yeah, I I don't know. Their their, their metrics up until very recently is still extremely strong, uh, but all their strikers are cold. Um, you know, they're, they're giving up um, even when they're just giving up a goal. Like you know, then they're unable to peg it back. And you, half these defeats should be draws, really. You know, they got, they've got most of the game. They've given up a goal and oh well, they can't score for love and money, and it's just, it's just, it's genuinely bizarre. But these things happen, and yeah, it's, um... these things happen is like an exceptional way to look at this, <laughs> right? So, so you know, not, they 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 aren't scoring at home at all, and not in a way that you know a top six team has never done. Like you know, Crystal Palace probably have not. Yeah, done yeah, 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 yeah. I did. I saw something about like you know, run of shots without a goal, and it was like, yeah, this this is 
without precedent. And it's like, okay. And this is this is what people lose, right? So we've we've seen this happen over and over and we talk about it, but like I think the general fan does not understand this. Like there's a lot of football that gets played. And every year we will see some level of statistical anomalies that, you know, sort of correspond to to model you know, unexpected things happen, but whatever. So Liverpool underperform or overperformed expected goals last year to an extent that was quite impressive and a bit lucky and they they took on the title but they were also good and you know the that late area they kind of coasted and that's all fine um but you know with, with individual finishers you've seen it happen as well so cristiano ronaldo had a six-month period where he barely scored and that's actually in our recruitment course that's out there that james spent an inordinate amount of time on and it's great and we taught you almost all the things that we've learned over time about recruitment and and you know Zlatan did that as well and these are guys that you know have gone on to continue scoring lots of goals <laughs> but they had a period where they didn't now this Liverpool period is absurd because um there are a lot of guys who are taking shots in those games and it's quite a large number of shots now and it's quite a large number of games and they're still not putting in the back of the net so yeah it's just, it is just a weird one I mean what do, what do we look at uh, numbers wise yeah so they're not taking a lot of shots the defense is still not giving up that many shots kind of recently but there's yeah the skew is just just so negative on them right now it is quite bizarre um I don't know. I think there's some rejigging that's happened to, you know, Klopp trying to balance with without having his ideal personnel and that's hard and I think they're probably tired, played a lot of football over the last couple of years. Like, you know. Yeah. And, and the thing Champions League campaigns. Yeah, and the thing is we've got we've literally got Man City last season as case one in this kind of thing. You know, you can you can be good, you can have good metrics and it can still not go your way. You can give up too many games, you can lose you know, just give up goals, lose games. It can happen. I think City lost nine games last year with crazy metrics. Like Liverpool's metrics for most of the season have been, you know, firmly kind of like second best behind behind uh, City as they were last season. But you know, for for every bit they boosted above expectation last year, they've they've come back the other way this year. And it is, yeah. I mean, I, I the last I think the last say three or four weeks, um, you know, I, I was confident that Liverpool would would find their find their form and just end up in second place obviously i don't think that's going to happen now because they've lost too many games and they're too far back but yeah the idea that they're not going to finish top four is, is wild but it can happen you know i got i got my ass lit on fire by leicester winning the title way back when like that was <laughs> that was just couldn't happen it's like it can't happen like this there's no way that this can happen because it, i it just can't there's nothing about this that suggests that it can and then it did and so, yeah, I guess this is this is the thing. Be be flexible with your with your opinions a little bit, and realise that things can move relatively quickly, even if you're kind of you know more concentrating on long term trends and you're interested in that. And, and that's the thing: the long term trend, you know, rumbles in the, you know, oh, we should Klopp carry on. It's like, well, yeah, of course you should. You're like, you're not going to just, you know, unless there was some kind of like, you know, kind of personal personal issues or something that you know meant that things had changed then you know all things you have you have one of the two best coaches uh, yeah, uh, let's say five but probably two best coaches in the whole world you know what he operates like you like working with him of course you keep him of course this is not like the rarest thing in football is not like you know the great striker or the great midfielder it's the great coach <laughs> and you keep yeah him. if you know if we if we sat here a year from now and liverpool have still this uh, eighth then yeah, okay, I, I accept that. Like you know, maybe maybe things are too far gone, but we're literally. I think we're re- realistically, you know, if if you were kind of like looking at Liverpool and evaluating them, you'd say like, okay, maybe they they they're two or three weeks out of of being like absolutely fine, really. 
and there's obviously the choices that they got to make now with a lot of injuries managing the squad Champions League coming like you know you you can probably make some kind of choices about like what you prioritize from here on in so yeah you know the two weeks of like things not going you know things fundamentally not going as well as you'd like is not enough to actually put any pressure on a coach but the fact of even saying that and I'm shooting down the idea kind of tells you that it's been quite weird <laughs> It's been an insane season. I, I don't think there's any way to really encapsulate this and say that you know this is the future. But you know you've flagged up some trends that I think are interesting to talk about. Before we do that, though, I I have not watched that much football this year. Uh, I've been working on a different football, um, and it's just it feels like relentless amounts of football coming. And so my excitement, you know, I've mostly just watched Arsenal games and the occasional um, Champions League and maybe one one other match on a weekend. It used to be, you know, back in my gambling days, I was watching eight to 10 games a week. And, you know, even more recently, uh, probably a, a wider dispersion of, of games and matches and leagues uh, for recruitment stuff, but even so. So I haven't, looked at, uh, I haven't looked at the expected goals or the goals leaders this year, and I thought that number set was pretty fascinating. Um, so the, the, in terms of the entire Premier League, and again, weird Premier League season, the, the current leader in expected goals per game is Mikhail Antonio uh, at West, West Ham, which we will talk about in a little bit. But the second one is Bamford, and boy, there's another one. There's another guy that was hammered for years, and wrongly so, and you do not hear a peep in the last 18 <laughs> months about people who doubted Patrick Bamford. Oh, his attitude this, his attitude that. Oh, he's not good enough. Oh, this, oh, that. No, I'm sorry. He actually looks like, you know, one of the, the two to five best strikers in, in the league this year. He's in his prime, sure. But, you know, the the, the sort of story behind the scenes is that he's, he's a smart guy, and for whatever reason, he kept going on these loans to English managers who then didn't want to play him. And you're like, hmm, interesting. Don't know why. Had the awesome season, the breakout season where he was basically player of the year in the championship at age, what, 22, something like that. And then, you know, almost disappeared from bad loans. Serge Gnabry had a similar sort of mm. thing. Uh, and then, gosh, he's pretty good at Bayern Munich. Like people just are, they try to read into this stuff. And then you hear from coaches on the outside because they get to control a lot of the media coverage. Players do not. <clears throat> and, you know, they're fighting for their spaces and stuff like that. And yeah, it turns out Bamford's pretty damn good and has been able to score, unlike in the past when they're like, oh, he's he can't score. I just wanted to flag up, though, James, the third person on this list is Tammy Abraham. <laughs> Tammy Abraham, James. Tammy Abraham. Is it- so I, guess I, I don't know if he's injured or out of favour at the moment at Chelsea because like he keeps not getting picks and people are like, like what's going on? But yeah, he, he always he always flags up well when he's on the pitch. I don't know. I guess I guess people because he he's, he's he's leggy, isn't he? He always looks a bit leggy and a bit cumbersome. So maybe there's just this kind of like unconscious bias, like that he feels like he's he's not kind of like a fluid kind of link player. But he always comes up well when it comes to you know expected goals, always and. Love Tammy. Actually, you know, actual goals too. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, no, no qualms about that at all. And he's, uh, you know, I guess it's, it's interesting to see like what his what his future kind of like looks like because, you know, he's evidently good enough to play like every week in the Premier League for Chelsea also. But they have Havertz, they have Werner. Havertz is now playing his best position, which is basically a false nine. And that's sort of like what he excelled in last season. It, you know, Chelsea, Chelsea have a, a wealth of weapons. It'll be interesting to see from a player perspective, like what those guys want to do. You know, it, it's also quite 
it's clustered in these sort of strikers. So you've got you've got Giroud there on on lesser amount of minutes, also you know right with Tammy Abraham. Then you go down a little bit. You get, uh, you know, just just a tiny bit actually. You got Calvert Lewin is is you know a fraction behind that. Cavani a fraction behind that. Kane a fraction behind that. Mane, Firmino, Werner, Vardy, Danny Welbeck. <laughs> that's not what I was expecting. <laughs> I've filled to higher minutes than you, so he's not on my list. That's how that's how to get solved. That's ah. how to sort that out. <laughs> well done, yeah. Danny, Danny Welbeck at at eight hundred and nine minutes, uh, expected goals of 0. 0.40. And as you know, since he's actually <laughs> at Brighton, he's not scoring point <laughs> four zero. It's quite a clump, actually. It's in, what's interesting to me is there aren't any like huge shot monsters in the in this league right now. Like Kane, Lee, Kane, Kane is like three point six per game, which is on the high side. Medium to high side for him, like De Bruyne, who's you know hasn't hasn't been able to hit a barn door when it comes to shooting, but has been you know great otherwise creatively as per usual. Three and a half, Mitrovic three point two, Bamford three point two. But then you yeah you haven't got like the kind of like the four or five uh, shots per game players that are kind of like absolutely crushing uh, expected goals or anything. Like someone like um, you know Jesus and um, Aguero, I think were kind of like leading expected goals last season, and you know for what one reason or another. Um, like Aguero hasn't been on the pitch. Jesus has had a bit of a quiet one. His, his amount of shots he's getting and the quality of the shots he's getting isn't particularly high. Um, so you know they're, they're kind of usual suspects. All the Liverpool three are all kind of like probably Salah's down a little bit on um, expectation. Mane and Firmino are kind of like as expected, but not shooting, not finishing very well um, at all so far this season. So yeah, there's. Even Vardy, you know, Vardy, Vardy as streaky as you like when it comes to, you know, he has great seasons and mediocre seasons. He's having penalties aside, a bit of a quieter season in regards uh, to his finish. You know what the weirdest thing in this table is, though? Like, we, we just filtered, like, you know, to player stats and stats on IQ. The single weirdest thing in this whole list of people in the Premier League, though. Go on. Christian Benteke is overperforming. <laughs> He's, goals right what now. a player. He's doing well. <laughs> He was never as bad as his, his, his three and a half seasons suggested he was, maybe, possibly. For, for, for those of you who have not been around the Stats Bomb podcast for like the last oh, four man. years, um, Christian, Christian, poor Christian Benteke. Like this is a guy that, you know, if, if he'd scored even like close to his expected goals over the course of the last three seasons, people would be quite impressed. And they were quite impressed by him before. And that poor guy just could never, ever score and uh, and yeah, this year, you know, he's 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 a bit above it, and he's still creating a good number of expected goals. And and there we go. All right, James, what else should we talk about? Who else is good at the moment? Arsenal are are Arsenal good, Ted? Do you want to go there? Ooh, ooh. See, people are always going to expect us to talk about Arsenal. I hate doing <laughs> fan service. I don't, I don't like doing what people expect. What I'll do you say, think, James, as a Spurs well, think- fan? <laughs> Things things are looking a little bit better, as in like they've actually started taking shots rather than not taking shots, which was the thing for ages. Taking um, shots is useful in this game. If we, it depends where we draw the line. If we go all the way back to the start of the twenty twenty one, like their metrics look quite good. They're actually kind of like second best for expected goals in the league. If we go a little bit further, we I looked at Tuchelera, which is kind of like end of January onwards, and they didn't look quite as good. And I looked at the games, and it feels like Arsenal are a bit all or nothing at the moment. Like they they either have good games or not good games, and the aggregate is better than not good, which is an improvement. But yeah, it's it's interesting. Place is not unfair. 
No, it isn't. Um, but that kind of basically is based upon them not being very good for most of like you know the 2020 section of the season. So there's 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 kind of I don't know the embers of something coming through maybe. And it's interesting because how long do you give how long do you give a manager to kind of like we've seen Solskjaer Solskjaer they're in second. Like you know there have been many periods even just in the start of December where like. Um, Fans were like, you know, actually, we we don't want Solskjaer in, in charge anymore. We're not as good as we need to be. When they got knocked out of the Champions League and they weren't looking good in the league, then they went on a nice run and they're looking quite quite well set for top four again. So, yeah, it's a question about how long do you give give a manager? And yeah, there's enough about this end part of the season to say like maybe Arteta is 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 finally, and it's taken a long time, uh, set the ship on the right course. Maybe. So having watched these games, I feel like the rest of the league is playing football and competing in a football season, and Arsenal are actually competing in a rake-stepping contest. <laughs> and and that's not just because David Luiz is still in the team, but he certainly <laughs> doesn't always help with that. <laughs> a little Sideshow Bob reference there for everybody else. Um, but <laughs> it's Arsenal are the most capable team of beating themselves in the entire Premier League right now. Yeah, that was Zaka moment the other day in that. Uh, you know, against Burnley was obviously and partly Leno as well. A classic of the of the type. It happens all the time. It's it's incredible, you know. And and I think there, I hate playing into the ref speculation stuff, but Arsenal have had some some poor refing against them this year in different ways, and certainly stuff that's been really inconsistently ref. So if a thing happened against Arsenal that cost them, they haven't necessarily benefited from the flip side of that and giving them you know, the bonus that they deserved. I expect better from you, Ted. <laughs> ref narratives, come if, on, man. If you see it enough times, it's not just a stereotype, <laughs> it's reality. But all fans say this about their team. All fans. It's true. I, well, look, Pepe had gotten fouled an awful lot of times and not gotten enough penalties for it. And Jamie Vardy always gets the penalty, so I think that that felt like it was only fair. You got to you got to work on your on your on your falling over. That's the thing. You do you have to be an expert faller over. All is wrestling. You got to sell your move. <laughs> and and you have to avoid the the narrative against you, right? So like Bale used to get fouled all the time, and mm. and then he had like you know one time where he fell over slightly poorly. And and then all of a sudden, Bale was a diver. But you would see him get like you know, peak Bale would get hacked to bits and deserve these penalties. And then they would like wouldn't give it to him. Meanwhile, you know Manchester United as a team have the magic ability to just collapse in the box and, and earn penalty after penalty. And to be honest with you, you watch those games and it doesn't feel that unfair. So it must mean that their acting is top notch. <laughs> All penalties of penalties. That's just it's just fair. Talking of peak Bale, Ted. No, he's been playing recently. <laughs> he's been really good recently. Yeah. What an electric front three Tottenham have got, which is kind of merciful because their, their season's been rather meandering compared to what you might expect. Um, I should watch. No, I, I think that that's like a, a good sort of um, point to talk about. I think that Spurs have a better better squad than Arsenal do. Um, a lot of this year has been attrition. And the teams that have, have managed to get through it without some really serious injuries have done quite well. Some of them did it for a long time. We'll talk about Villa in just a second. James had a nice little flag about them. They've really struggled recently. Um, and then you know, the other team that, that also really struggled late into last year 
is it's a depth problem. And Leicester, you know, Leicester were right there in the Champions League until they weren't right at the end. And it was just they lost so many important parts. And it feels like they're they're on that edge again. And, and it, yeah. Leicester are fascinating because their metrics never kind of went away. I because I wrote the preview. I wrote a couple of previews. I wrote a lot of previews, and some of them, some of, the, of <laughs> some of them have come through really well. Leicester was one of the ones because I was really high on them, and most I think most of the fan base wasn't because they'd fallen fallen apart kind of like a little bit at the end of the season. The metrics were still there. Ironically, they're doing really well this season off the back of lesser metrics. So is that a win? I don't know. I'll take it. Um, <laughs> it's it's a it's a funny one. Um, Obviously, West Ham, West Ham and Villa are, t- are two other teams that you, you can kind of like fit into that category as well. I think I was probably a little bit higher on, or substantially higher on, than uh, than other people were at the start of the season. And well, and they're they're just certain teams that if if they miss you know two of their important guys, especially with their style of attack, they 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 can't attack very well. And and those things you know it's it's often not the guys that are up front. It's like you know you're missing this midfielder or this center back who can open play. Or this uh, this fullback that gives you width and and can get up and down the pitch, like that costs you. So like last year, um, and Didi for Leicester, Pereira also. You know when they had them, they they look like a different team, and and that can be true. There was a period uh, like a decade ago, and most time in gambling, like even in like a Lionel Messi is worth maybe 0. 0.40 of a goal. Uh, or a third of a goal versus their replacement, etc. Um, and part of that super team effects, but like this is like a lot of research that's proprietary gambling stuff. There was a period where Ron Vlar, and I swear to God this is true, was the most important player in the Premier League in terms of the line, the gambling really? line. Because <laughs> if Vlar was not playing for that Aston Villa team, they would be horrific and they would lose like two, three, by two and three goals. If Ron Vlar was playing and he was healthy, like they would be able to go toe to toe with everybody, but like the four best teams in the league, and wow. <laughs> it was such a, and 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 you know sometimes it's the unexpected stuff, but you know the the gambling markets are are weird in that it's hard to quantify this type of thing, uh you know you're you're looking at at you know, period of time that this team is better or worse. You want the longer period of time. You want it from the manager came in. You want as much continuity of lineup as possible. And there are just some guys where you're like, all right, they they just cannot play without this particular player or these two players. It feels like a couple of these teams are like that. Well, yeah, West, West Ham's a good example of this, actually, because like when I wrote my preview and I was a little bit high on them, I was, my, my, me being high on West Ham was like they should be fine kind of like lower mid-table or mid-table, which is like, you know, after kind of like you know, being flirting around towards the bottom was deemed confident. Now, obviously, they're challenging for the top four at the moment. Now, how's that happened? Like, they, they're, they're pretty good, but they, they have had utter consistency about selection throughout... Um, like since the since the kind of uh, first lockdown, you know, when the Premier League returned, that run of form there when they were good and they played with Antonio up front, um, Suchak and Rice in, in the kind of DM slots. Uh, the back four is pretty consistent. Cresswell creates tons from from left back, good on set pieces, um, and then you know Bowen and they signed Ben Rama, and then they they've got Lingard in that that kind of like band of three behind Antonio or whomever. Pablo Fornal is also like quite well regarded. Like so, what we thought a year and a half ago was that their recruitment looked like it was pretty good, and we were just worried about the missing midfield, right? And and now they play Suchek and, and Declan Rice and you know it's not Jack Wilshere and, and and the guy that's going to retire yeah. next year and, and Mark Upton. And it's really it's really really coming forward insofar as that like they've managed to get the same the 
a reliable team out nearly every game and, and they've just the consistency is, has obviously kind of really helped them but there probably are two or three guys in that team that you could pull out if they got injured and it'd be like okay right this is this is difficult I would trust Moyes to even to you know be able to manage that situation a little bit but at the same time they've 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 probably hit way above everyone's expectation because of the fact that they've managed to get a consistent lineup rolling and you know they've got some really good players and really good kind of role players as well and everyone knows what they're supposed to do Moyes nice for him to have an Indian summer and like you know prove that he you know Everton wasn't just a one-off but given given time he's actually you know got success within within a within a team so their leading goal scorer is a midfielder mostly considered a defensive midfielder that's pretty intriguing he does everything literally he's that's not true he does some things a lot like head the ball and score goals and then other things is like well he doesn't even register so it just a complete role player really fast yeah and the moist thing is is complicated right like you know he in the past, it often wanted control and control over squad building and stuff like that. And I think, to be honest with you, like the squad he inherited was quite strong overall. Um, yeah, they they swapped out Sebastian Allaire. Uh, he's got the Ajax, who then failed to register him for their Europa League, which, oh, it's been that kind of season for everybody. But um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see where he goes from here because he had not done well for quite a long time. He'd I, always I don't had want short, he'd always had short spells. That's the thing. He, he, he always, he never got time. Like, I think the two teams that fe- except felt for like, United, you know, I mean, he was only there till April or whatever. He but also like, inherited a bad team. Yeah, there was there was work to do. I mean, the, I think the the two teams that felt like they benefited most from from the lockdown were Villa and West Ham. They came absolutely flying out of the gates uh, when the, when the restart happened, and to much extent, like that's continued. The point I wanted to make about Villa is interesting because, like, they went from having a very league worst defence to like one of the top five best defences in the league from uh, pre-lockdown to post-lockdown. They continued that into the first half of this season, but. The last kind of like uh, 10, 12, 15 games or whatever it is, it's gone the other way. They're giving up a lot of shots again. And now they're not high, hugely high quality ones, so it's not entirely coming through to the expected goals being really bad as well, but they're giving up a lot of shots again. And that's interesting to me because it's like, you know, it, these teams aren't just static things they aren't you know it's easy to look at the this is something I bang on about all the time it's easy to look at the whole season and get a picture of a team but the the evolution of a team in season uh, is is something that I think plenty of analysis misses when, when you're not actually like peering deeply at it and I think you know Villa have probably got you know an issue to solve about like why they suddenly given up a lot of shots again and that's something that you know, they, it, there's a narrative around that Villa's defence got fixed, and it did, but it's kind of drifted again. <laughs> Much like, you know, Liverpool's defence kind of drifted up post-lockdown, but did it matter? I don't know, you just got to be alert, <laughs> I think. Well, yeah, and, and you know, what are you, what are you trying to suss out? You're trying to suss out, you know, how things are going to finish this year? You're going to try and suss out who might have problems over the summertime? You know, this, this back half of the year... Your palace of their numbers are terrible at the moment, and you know will that continue? Will it not? You know, does it matter because they're sort of basically free and clear again? It's the Big Sam period, or the Tony Pulis period, where if you know if you're safe, then you know you only have to, to come to work a couple of days a week, and you know we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll just get a couple more points and, and be fine. Um, so it's time to put you on the spot, James. I think there's <laughs> some important questions here. Uh, who's finishing the Champion League? He's finishing. It's almost. It feels like it's almost set. Obviously, City. Um, you know, I think the United and Leicester have probably got enough points that they 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 can they can defend their 
defend their territory effectively. West Ham, West Ham have a game in hand at 48. <laughs> I'm still betting. I'm still betting on Chelsea to, to just continue <gasps> to to grind their way through and get that. How spot. dare you abandon your boy David Moyes <laughs> at this point in the season? I, I, I'm predicting no Champions League for West Ham. I, I'd love to say I did, but I didn't. <laughs> so, I, I, I definitely remember reading tweets that said that Spurs were going to win the league, though. No, I did tweet that. Yeah, that was good. There was, there was a week three or something, I think. It was like, these metrics, they're amazing after three weeks. What a side. Yeah. Plus, 18, plus 18 goal difference. Like, they have the, the fourth best goal difference in the whole league. Who's this? West Ham? Spurs. Oh, Spurs. Yeah, they, they've, they've they gone a bit all or nothing. They're, 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 they're a weird team in some ways. Mm. I mean, they, he's taken Eric Dyer out recently, out of the firing line, and, and they've, they've seemingly... He was... He was he was a bit Arsenal centre back for a little while. Made a couple of mistakes, and, um, and they, <laughs> is, that, uh, is that the official term now? <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and it's been Sanchez and Alderweireld to the last kind of three weeks. And they've won three games and looked a little bit better. And and they haven't got any Spurs. I mean, you can you can you can argue a case that you know if they go on a run, you can say that about most of the top. Two. If they go on a run, they could charge at the at the at the top four. Uh, Spurs don't have um, Liverpool City again, and you might say, "Oh well, Liverpool, whatever." But like yeah, Spurs, Liverpool's always a misery. So like that. In fact, the last <laughs> I think the last game Liverpool Liverpool won at home was was Firmino's ninety minute winner against Spurs back in December. So yeah, uh, they're not out of it. Everton Everton continue to surprise and perplex. Ooh, <laughs> they're, those, they're there. Those they numbers. So that's another team that I think that uh, despite having about 200 players on their books, um, you know, they, they have a couple that really matter. And then if they're missing, like things get really rocky, but their metrics are shaky. And, uh, and since Christmas time, I think is what you showed. Yeah. They're not, they're, their metrics haven't been good, although they've managed to continue to, you know, win a decent proportion of their games. I mean, it, I, I don't think it matters at this point, to be honest, this, this, however, you know, the 11 games left, however, they, progress from the rest to the rest of the season uh you have to consider it generally a success because you yeah know, if, if top six seven eight, in that mix that's what they need need to be if that gives them the building blocks to mill forward obviously you know we'd like nicer metrics and maybe you know they had still need more pieces more signings and such but you know realistically i think i think this league, league is, is, is quite deep and this this is why i think you've got teams teams like Arsenal or Wolves in 10th and 12th and such I think these are still generally good teams in the scheme of things and it's just that bit harder uh, to be like in the mix when you've got teams like West Ham Everton um, you know Leicester backing up last season you know even no no the, Villa the, t- the top six is inviolable they <laughs> they're always going to finish in the top six again these are the media things that they tell us that have to be true so they they must be if everybody says it james um <laughs> before we we skipped a little bit of the power of the premier league which i think is actually an important point uh, since christmas time everton are, are taking about eight shots and giving up 14 not good is it i mean you'd want to you'd, you'd want to do a little bit more than that <laughs> I, and I, yeah, that's that's concerning. And and Palace are seven shots to fourteen and a half or something. So, yeah, those those two, despite being safe, you know, the, the, there's work to be done there. Yeah, and that's the thing. You, you don't Ever, again, like looking at the last season, Everton were fascinating because I think you could project Everton quite positively off the, off the period before the the lockdown. Um, 
Ancelotti's like first first run at things was really strong, and then they they seemed to be they were not good after the after the lock, first lockdown and just kind of drifted along in mid table. But did it matter? It didn't matter at that point. And the thing is, they they came out of the blocks really fast this season and, and looked good for at least some of it. Metrics have waned, results have, have not caught up yet. So kind of interesting where where that goes. The last ten eleven games that they've got. Um, but I think yeah. Arsenal, Arsenal will show, so this is the same thing. So since Christmas time, Arsenal had the second best expected goals difference, uh, non-penalty side in the league. And and again, I, I agree with you in that there's a lot of promise there. It's just like, how do you stop the catastrophic mistake every game, it feels like, in, in some cases? Um, and, you know, that's, that's a big question. It's probably not coaching. It's, it's maybe a little bit. It's probably, you know, some personnel changes as well. Arsenal are still big in transition you know Everton I think are also a team that you would say personnel wise are in transition I think that this summer was quite a bit different than some of their previous summers and you know they're still working things out but that top of the league you're right it's it's quite interesting some teams are much further down the table than you might expect and this is a weird season but when you shift to the Premier League in Europe they have stomped everybody Mm. everybody it has not generally been close across Europe and you know, when it has been close, you know, it's like Manchester United going out to some very, very good teams in a, in a tough group or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that you know, we can't lose the fact people like, oh, the Premier League looked worse than it ever has because the big six. Aren't no, the I, top. Think, I think the opposite. I, I genuinely feel the opposite. I think this is a strong league and it's a deep league. And that's why we're seeing lots of they're not even surprise results. They're just they're just. They're just kind of like the what mid-range teams beating the traditional bigger teams, and and people think, oh well, the big teams are crap, and that's the end of the story. No, I think like the the mid-range the, teams got a lot better. Yeah, yeah, like you know, you can you can you can argue a case for quite a few of them. Like you know, it's only two seasons ago you wouldn't be putting I know Leicester won a title, but you wouldn't be putting them in as you know a tough fixture, let's say, or you wouldn't necessarily think West Ham was a tough fixture or Villa or. Everton or Leeds Leeds are hilarious I mean what a what a <laughs> fun team they are like it's, it's what's coming next I don't know it's either going to be absolutely brilliant or it's going to be the easiest game you'll have all year I mean it's it's one or the other it's, it's you know and you shouldn't underestimate how well they've done just to just to never ever be in the kind of relegation mix or even in the conversation all year they're just perfectly yeah. happy sat there Sat in the middle of the league, and I think yeah, two draws all season, which I think Sheffield United got two draws as well. But that that tells a story. It's it's all or nothing with Leeds. All right, well, I think that that's going to do it. Um, we will be back next week with another podcast, and that is mostly going to be about stats bomb evolve. Is it what not going to just be about Brighton? It could. <laughs> so we, I intentionally avoided the entire conversation <laughs> around that because the Twitter sphere is so loud about it. And I actually think that James researched a little bit on it. And I should should I let you say your research on this? What do you want me? I can't remember what what my. Oh, I I, I thought I thought you had researched like how often do a team yeah you know, with Brighton metrics appear every oh, year because yeah, no, it's football. Did, yeah, you did ask me to look at that. I haven't actually got around to it. Oh well, done. <laughs> I'll look at that for next week. There we go. We'll talk about it then. James has a job that does not involve podcasting. Allegedly. Yeah, it's true. This is true. So, so next week, uh, you're all welcome to attend the Stats Mom Evolve event. We will probably have a subset of the the talks uh, that are available on demand as well. Uh, I don't know if it'll be the entirety of every talk. Um, and I'm like so excited. It's, it's not often that you get to launch an entirely new product. 
um, into the world and especially in you don't see it happen very often in the football data space we're going to do that and we're going to do it for a second time uh, we did it first time in 2018 we changed the football data landscape and we're going to do it again on Wednesday uh, so you're welcome to join us there the 17th of March and then next week we'll talk a bit about that and a bit about where we see things going and talk about the new data and the potential and all of those things on a little podcast that's different from that event. So thanks very much for listening, everybody. Uh, We'll be back and uh, have a good week. Cheers, mate.